Hello, dear listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cox. We're here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie. Chris. How's it going? I have, I, I have a, I have an issue. What's your issue? I have an issue. Issue is, is like minutes before this podcast, I was endeavoring to engineer a, a prefabricated cat scratch house made out of cardboard. Sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to come clean and be honest. Here's my diatribe about this. I, I failed miserably like that. I, it, like it, it, there's no labels on any of these pieces of cardboard. Nothing's fitting together. Like I'm going to end up duct taping this thing together. The cat's already looking at me like I'm insane. So I just, I literally put it down. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I have to podcast. I have fought with this for the last two and a half hours. Nice. Well, that <laughs> sounds like a really good use of your time. Like, I'm excited about story. it. I'm Thank excited you. about it. It's good stuff. You know, it's we bad. actually we actually just uh, we actually just took bad. an Amazon pot an Amazon box. We cut some holes into the side, and then Katie wrote on it uh, "hissing booth," <laughs> and it's the cats. It's Seaborg's little place. Aww. And now, when people come over, they're like, "What's that?" And Katie's like, "That's Fort Idiot." <laughs> and then Seaborg will stick her head out like all proudly like, yeah, it's Fort Idiot. Like having oh a great God. time. See, but that's that's the ingenuity I think I need because like I went on Amazon. I bought this. And the reason I bought it, and here's the hook, is it had a plastic dome on top. Oh. So the cats could look up through said plastic dome because really that's what cats really love doing, right? Is like. Doing exactly what you plan on them doing. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. So why not pay premium dollar for the plastic dome that will never be actually physically assembled into this <laughs> monstrosity right now? I tell you what's going to look really good on that plastic dome, Marie. It's cat vomit. <laughs> All right. Speaking of reverse engineering something oh. that you have no business or qualifications to do, oh, this so episode, so we're talking about Bob Lazar in Element 115. And okay, again, full disclosure, I have no idea about any of this stuff, which no. normally doesn't stop me before, but now I'm admitting it. I don't know who Bob Lazar is. I don't have any kind of frame of reference really with him. I know he's in the UFO environs but i don't know what he does and i certainly didn't know anything about this this new element okay so so i'm ready this is one of those episodes where i was on the ufo facebooks i got hot and i haven't been able to get unhot i haven't been able to release the heat and the anger until we do this episode so let's get into it jake roll the tape Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. Today's episode, Element 115. Because <laughs> nothing says nothing says holiday peace, love, and understanding quite like a Mad Scientist go deep episode on any particular subject. Quite like approximately 300 pounds of hairy Italian Canadian man <laughs> screaming at the at the. At the peak of my lung capacity about aliens. Oh, All right. That, let's t- that does say holiday. That's well, listen, that's that's, holiday that's how I've known every holiday that's, for the last 28 years oh, of my life. So God, I get teared up. That's like eggnog. That's lights. Chris Cogswell screaming about alien fraud. All right. So I'm uh, right, taking it off. Okay. So I'm ready. 
for those that don't know or haven't been following kind of the recent uh, Bob Lazar info or the recent UFO world, right? You may not follow it as hard as I have. So um, Bob Lazar has recently come back into kind of the, you know, has come back into the forefront because of a documentary by Jeremy Corbell or Corbell, I think is how you say his last name, um, which uh, is a show to begin with. Yeah, so we're we're gonna get into that. Obviously, okay, we're gonna sorry, get into sorry. that. But so, oh god, sorry. No, it's okay. So this the documentary is called so Bob excited. Lazar Area Fifty One and Flying Saucers. Um, so Bob Lazar is a really, I'd say, polarizing figure in the UFO community. Now, you may have never heard of Bob Lazar, but I guarantee you've heard of what he brought into the public lexicon, which Uh-oh. is Area Fifty One. Oh, I have heard of Area 51. Sure. So uh, Robert Scott Bob Lazar um, was born January. You know why I don't trust him right away? Three first names. Yeah, it's well, yeah, it's, you know, scary. He Mm. was born uh, January 26, 1959 in Coral Gables, Florida. Now, he kind of uh, shot to prominence because he made claims on um, George Knapp, uh, had a segment on KLAS about uh, UFOs, about kind of weird stories and things. And so Knapp was doing a story about the kind of, you know, the secret space program and whatever. And so uh, this guy showed up under the name Dennis and he claimed his face was hidden and things. And he claimed that he worked at S4, which was a kind of like a facility within a facility um, of Area 51. Ooh, this, even a more secret, right? More covert secret. Now area. this this facility was supposedly near uh, Papoose Lake, which is south of Groom Lake, which is kind of the main Area Fifty One area. And supposedly it was it had these you know these huge aircraft hangars built into the mountainsides and sort of uh, almost decoyed in such a way. I mean, not really decoyed, built into the mountainside in such a way that you wouldn't notice it unless you were basically right on top of it. Right. So you can imagine like a, a sheer mountain face cliff. You wouldn't necessarily see an opening in it if you uh, were looking at it from a distance because of the way the shadows are and, and kind of the nooks and crannies inside of a mountainside. Hmm. OK, mm-hmm. now his story goes that he uh, his story goes that he first. Was introduced to this area by um, by becoming. So he was originally a photographer. <laughs> he was a, he he developed film and he was a photographer. Okay, and so that was like in the in the 1980s, mm-hmm. right? He was mm-hmm. a uh, photographer. He had some training. Uh, it seemed like in physics and, and uh, electronics, which we're going to get into more and more as we go through. And uh, said that he had he had already worked at Los Alamos, which is a national laboratory in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was previous to him being a kind of a photographer and doing this kind of, you know, secondary business sort of stuff. Um, he sent a resume out to a person that he supposedly knew uh, from when he was actually shooting himself off in rocket bikes, um, like kind of like rocket car kind of stuff in the desert. Right. And well, we've so we've all done that. I mean, you so, can't hold that against him. Right. So he, he the story goes that he went to a conference um, mm-hmm. and someone was like, well, look at this guy in the desert here with his rocket bike. And then there's rocket, you know, rocketry stuff, whatever. And Lazar went up to him afterwards and said, hey, that guy's me. Like, I'm the one with the rocket shoes. 
you know, we're being a little facetious, but essentially that's that's how it supposedly went. And so they kept in touch. This guy Black was shoes a, are actually kind of cool. Like I would not hold that wholeheartedly against anybody. No, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> those are cool, right? And it's, it wasn't yeah. really rocket shoes. It was like a it was it was messing around with rockets in the desert, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he he became kind of you know friendly with um, with this physicist uh, Edward Teller, Doctor Edward Teller. And so uh, that's the guy that kind of met him at the conference and said, you know, well, this was this was a cool story about kind of physics going on out in the trenches. Right. And this guy was like, mm-hmm. I, I was that guy. So hmm. uh, he but said, do we know if, was he really that guy or did he just say he was that guy? Is there any conclusive proof that he was that guy? He was actually that guy. OK, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. That, I've already tried to tear tear it apart. With no, that no, that's stuff. like that's like one of the few parts of the story that has any mm-hmm. kind of verification at all. Oh, OK. So uh, so then he he claimed that he sent his resume over to Dr. Teller and Teller said, you know, I actually do have a job that you might be interested in. It requires some it's going to require it's going to be a little weird. (laughs) Right. But if you keep an open Mm -hmm. mind, I think it's going to it's going to kind of let you do the kind of physics work you want to do. And so he told Bob to go to uh, an airport, essentially. and, you know, go there, just have a briefcase and whatever, have the kind of the stuff you wanted to do for work, uh, have a form of ID, right, all this kind of stuff. And then they would fly him from there to the military base where he would be doing work. Hmm. And then they would be transporting him from there to the other facility where his job would actually be every day. Huh. And now there are there are uh, airplanes that travel to and from Area 51 that are unmarked. Mm-hmm. Right. That actually, you know, so that that part at least is something that's plausible that he could have actually been doing. Um, and there is a bus supposedly that travels between Area 51 and the other sites around there. OK, now when he gets there, supposedly this uh, this military kind of you know guy, whatever, tells him, OK, well, we uh, we're going to have you read the stuff in this room and then we're going to see how you react to it and what you think. And then we're basically going to give you an interview. Okay. Okay. And so uh, they leave him there and he is reading like the, the files are all about aliens and UFOs and, and how the government has back engineered them okay. in some way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the story goes that he is a whistleblower then from area 51 who saw gray aliens who saw UFOs, who saw the anti-gravity technology that um, that went with this stuff, right? And that it's all powered by an element that he called element 115 mm. that he claimed would be uh, a stable, super heavy element, the first of its kind, and would essentially be able to uh, be used in, in a certain way to cause gravity waves to propagate in, a, in an interesting way and, and essentially like create a zone of negative gravity in front of the ship to cause it to push forward, to, to cause it to like get sucked in. Almost like how if you have an area of low pressure from an area of high pressure yeah, behind yeah, yeah. it, it'll push stuff forward. And that would work in space. That, well, the idea was that it would work anywhere where there was a gravity field that could be altered. Okay. Right. It, it, it all, all it's like a magnetic field, right? If the magnetic field was strong enough, it could overcome it the force. You. It okay. could overcome the force of gravity. OK. Right. Just like okay. in this case, it would be the same thing. It would just be a gravity wave overcoming, right. you know, weight and, and mass and whatever. OK. Now, 
here. Can I ask, can I, can I ask one quick question? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's my question is, so the job interview, right? So this guy who he's met, who liked his, who liked his, his hijinks in the, in the desert said he's got this job for him, right? So yeah. I'll make sure I'm tracking so far. And what he's got to do is he's got to show up with a briefcase to a airport and then he's going to be taken from said airport somewhere else and then deployed even somewhere else again. Yes. So I don't, my thing is, it's like, why, why is this, does this, like, this seems like a trope in a lot of, just like, if you tell me about this, like, why is it, why is there so many, like, why does it have to be so convoluted? Like, really? Like, I mean, it, it, isn't it possible that the most nefarious plots that could be, you know, thought up by our, our secret pocket governments within, you know, our actual agencies are just you just show up at a building or something? Well, like, I don't understand why there's always this, like, very long convoluted, like... Right, you go through the door that opens that has the right. it's all you know, men the, in black, the right? grate, and then the net, and then the you know the metal things, yes. and then yeah, it's or all you very have to show like up here, and you and you you don't know anything about it. It's like you never just get to show up to an address or to a nondescript building and just like go to work in a room or something. So that's why it's like I don't understand stories because one, I don't necessarily think that any agency works like that. Well, Having worked for a lot of bureaucracies, nobody's that nobody's got that much energy, even to keep secrets. Sorry. No well we also I'm also giving like the I'm also giving like the best case reading of Bob Lazar's story. He claimed that when they closed the door on him in that uh-huh. room, uh-huh. there was an alien poster on the door that said they're here. <laughs> So they're they're funny too. So they have all no, of these yeah. covert meow meow meow, and then they're humorous on oh, top of there's, it. Well, there's irony. You don't get both. I mean, Marie, you got to be ironic. Now you don't um, get both. No, you so don't. I, you don't. So you don't get the trope and get to be ironic about said trope. If this is your story, that doesn't happen. Especially like when was this? The fifties? When was it again? No, this was the eighties. Eighties? Oh no, definitely not. No. So he he then claimed that okay, so he comes out and he's like, you know, mm. he thinks that they're gonna come to him and say like. What'd you think? And he's going to be like, mm-hmm. if he says that he thinks this alien stuff is real, they're going to tell him he's crazy and then kick him out. Right. He thinks they're pulling his leg is what he says. Yes. But uh, but when he's like, you know, this deal seems kind of crazy. Like, where's your proof for any of this stuff? They bring him to a room where the UFOs are. And he, you a know, he, room where said UFOs. Well, like a bunker, yeah. a bunker yeah. where the UFOs are. Right. So, yeah. OK, now he claims, OK, he agrees to do it, whatever. And so the job that he was hired for was to basically reverse engineer alien crafts. OK, mm. now to do this, he signed away all of his constitutional rights, um, which was done under executive order by Reagan. OK, Oh, he, yeah, because Reagan could do – Reagan had all that kind of time. Right. He agreed stuff. He agreed essentially to have all of his rights taken away. He agreed to be surveilled 24-7. Mm-hmm. He agreed um, He agreed to have like his phone taps and stuff and everything else. They do medical tests on him to ensure he wasn't, you know, taking uh, material out and also to make sure that he was kind of not getting affected uh, by, you know, whatever they're working on. <coughs> um, Excuse me. I just had to clear my throat because this is so hard to swallow. Right. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, well, no, and, then, and then this is my favorite part of the story. They said that they would give him a gun, but that they would it would be a five hundred dollar charge to him if he lost the gun. And he was like, now that's crazy. And he didn't want the gun. 
So, but why why do you even need a gun? Basically, you're under 24-7 surveillance. What are you going to do? You've, just, you've signed away your rights. I don't know, a coyote? You, I don't know, Marie. I don't know. I don't know. Cactus? <laughs> so, where are they? So, where... Okay, so let's just... I'm sorry. I'm already mired in the weeds on this one. But, like, are they... I'm assuming they're in the desert someplace, hypothetically. Yeah, they're, they're, no, no. They're at Area 51. So, they're, okay. like, in the middle of the desert. Okay. They're in the middle of the desert. And he signed away all of his rights on Reagan's, you know, Reagan signed on a stationery and said, yes, Area 51 executive order, you know, you will not have any identity, you will not have any rights. I mean, so why why a gun? Why bother with a gun? And where are you going to go? Like, it's not like he's going to go anywhere. Like, why, sir, if you're surveilling him, it's almost like overkill. It's like... All, he, he's not doing anything if he's oh god okay sorry i don't know so anyway so the, the damn the, it chris I, the, my blood pressure was just like leveling off from the damn cat scratch box house now it's uh, supposedly <laughs> no, like oh. supposedly where he lived he lived near edwards air force base where um where he would then so be he, yeah he was off so he lived off campus exactly well so everyone does that's the whole thing is that everyone does and then they take these kind of nondescript planes over to um over to area 51 to work no way yeah no way no way okay keep going keep going okay. I'm sorry before i yeah so um okay so <laughs> the idea here um is that essentially so he okay he okay so th- so this air force this airplane site mm-hmm. the, these airlines mm-hmm. that actually travel to and from area 51 it's a real thing it's called janet um janet flight 211 leaves mccarran international airport in las vegas most mornings at about 3 30 a.m it operates in an unlabeled boeing 737 600 aircraft with no markings on its tail and no logos on its chest instead it bears only a long unbroken red stripe on either side of its body Janet's 211's destination, like all Janet flights, is officially listed as the Tanopa Test Range, a retired military installation or a military installation in the Nevada desert. But according uh-huh. to flight trackers and observeries, um, its real destination is Groom Lake, home to the mysterious military site known as Area 51. Uh, so Janet is actually mm-hmm. the it actually is the Area 51 employee shuttle. I don't um, doubt that. Like, I don't doubt that they have aircraft that travel there. I think my question is if they have you mired in all of this stuff you know you're going to reverse engineer alien everything alien technology well yeah why aren't they why aren't they you flying you home in a ufo sight no well forget that they're not they're not you're not you're not getting mm. away from them i mean does anybody has anybody watched this last season of better call saul <laughs> did you no did, I, I didn't so, but somebody i'm not out gonna will have watched it and basically, if there's any sort of money invested in any type of anything, they're not letting you out of their sight. They're, like, mm. keeping you someplace sequestered until the job is done, and then maybe you survive after that. But, I mean, like, come on. This is, like, this is one of the singular biggest advents in in the history of humans. And they're going to just, like, let you, you know, maybe hop up something to Vegas? Well, so that's – and that's actually I, – I should re – I should uh, – I should fix an error we said earlier. He was living in Vegas at the time. He was living near Vegas. All right. Okay. So. So, yeah, he's in Vegas. He is in Vegas. So and so, he goes, okay. So here's what happens then. Okay. He <laughs> I'm gets. I'm escalating I'm calming he, down. Sorry, no, it's dude. fine. He gets, Sorry. he kind of gets, um, 
supposedly his his memory gets manipulated and kind of wiped mm. and back and forth and whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He then mm-hmm. uh, he then kind of starts blabbing to his buddies mm-hmm. and telling people like, "Hey, I work at this secret place. Like, check out this crazy stuff I work on." And through that, then he starts to discuss this stuff with George Knapp, who is this. Um, if you know anything about the UFO field, he is a very uh, well-known kind of reporter of okay. UFOs, kind of a serious reporter that takes these things seriously. Uh, he works through Las Vegas. Um, and so he was in a documentary by George Knapp called UFO is the Best Evidence um, that first aired in November of 1989. Uh-huh. Um, where Bob Lazar is kind of talking about all this stuff. Now um, – that's some lax government agency. I thought he was under surveillance 24-7. Well, okay, so now now here is uh, – so since that time now, Bob Lazar has kind of gone out there and stated, you know, all this stuff about uh, – you know, stated all this stuff about Area 51, about seeing gray aliens there from the Zeta Reticuli star system. Basically, all of the things you know about modern ufology mm-hmm. could have essentially come from the mind of this one guy, right? Whether or not you believe it's Why? true or not – whether or not what? you believe it's true or not, it, it, yeah, seriously, it all came from Bob Lazar, right? Yeah. Before before Bob Lazar, there was no, um, I mean, there was of course discussions about. Uh, let me let me put it this way, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff was out there, kind of in the mythos, but mm-hmm. Bob Lazar crystallized it down to a cohesive story mm. of of you know the gray aliens crashed and we took their technology and then we started we signed a treaty with them to work with them and so the grays are from zeta reticuli they come to earth they they help us whatever um you know mm-hmm. and we're we're reverse mm-hmm. engineering their stuff like all of the secret space mm-hmm. program bunk comes from bob lazar it, it, without bob <laughs> lazar there may have been people that said well maybe it's it's the government doing this but i i tend to think there would be a lot more people saying the government doesn't know what they're talking about with this. The government doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the that's kind of the uncomfortable position that the kind of UFO field finds itself in right now is you have to the Stars Academy saying the government doesn't know what they're talking about with these UFOs. Mm-hmm. And then you have Bob Lazar, who's coming back into the forefront, saying the government knows all of it. And we're hanging, you know, I hung out with aliens. I hung out with gray aliens in my free time at work, right? I hung out with them in the lunchroom. When I wasn't hitting the penny slots. Now, this is a this is from an article from 1997 by Stanton T. Friedman, who, if you listen to the show, you know is a big hero of mine in the UFO world. Um, so the article is called um, and you know, maybe this article you can kind of you know, I, I like I like Friedman because his articles are always very um nuanced and you know, uh, they, they let you decide as the reader. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this article is called the Bob Lazar fraud. Um, so this is how it, it starts. Quote, incredible claims have been made about Bob Lazar for years. He supposedly is a physicist with an MS in physics from MIT and an MS in electronics from the California Institute of Technology. He was a quote unquote scientist for Los Alamos National Laboratory and obtained a job back engineering UFOs at a very secret site S4 near Area 51 in Nevada through noted physicist, the late Dr. Edward Teller. Supposedly, he figured out how saucers work using element 115, matter, antimatter, etc. He was able to steal a small quantity of 115 from the 500 pounds available, mm-hmm. but this was stolen back. Mm-hmm. There was indeed an announcement in early 2004 about the production of four atoms of element 115 by operating a huge European accelerator for many weeks. 
It has a very short half-life, so there is no way to accumulate pounds of it. He supposedly came forward with his video with his story, despite death threats, because he thought the public has a right to know. Videotapes mm. are available with his claims. Mm. It is all bunk. <laughs> now, through Friedman's uh, through Friedman's information, okay, so so mm-hmm. the story of Bob Lazar, the whole started showing up right away. Okay. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. off, people are like, "Dude, you were like, you were a, you were running a, a a home photography service, like taking pictures of people's kids and stuff. Like, you you went to work on UFOs after that. Why aren't you? Why are you? If that's true, why aren't you making money as a physicist someplace else then? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, or Ooh, you know, well, how, question. well, how did you learn all this physics? Because as far as we know, you got a associate's degree in electronics." Right. Like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, no, no. So so his story, his mythos started to kind of build. And so um, so first he claimed that he got a master's of science in engineering from uh, in physics, rather, from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Okay, which there is absolutely no record for. Um, There's no record for him even having ever been in Cambridge, Massachusetts, let alone having gone to MIT. Okay, he then claimed that he went to. uh, like I said, that he then got an MS in electronics from Caltech. Now, electronics isn't a degree given outside the associates level, so I don't really know what he's talking about there. Mm. And then, on top of all that, when when people started digging in, so f- what Stanton Friedman was able to find about Bob Lazar was that the only the only uh, academic credentials he could find, okay, was mm-hmm. that he took some electronics courses in the late seventies. At Pierce Junior College. Mm. Which, there's nothing wrong with Pierce Junior College. No, okay? uh, no, but it's not, he, you're not going to walk out of there with a physics, uh, you know, a PhD in physics, though. No. Um, well, now, maybe you are, but it's just not, it's just, he just didn't do that. No, he didn't. Now, the next thing that he claimed was that, okay, well, I have, I have this, mm-hmm. uh, I have the Los Alamos national lab phone book that has my name on it that has my name in it mm-hmm. so how would i have gotten there if i'm making all this up well now, there's probably a pretty good explanation for it i mean there is a that phen- doesn't prove anything <laughs> there's a there's a phenomenal explanation he was a contractor through kirk meyer mm-hmm. who uh again was kind of through the the sort of photography engineering uh kind of um like associates level kind of engineering uh, work yeah Right, like, a, like an uh, what's the word? Not associates level, like um, an engineering Technical. technician, a technician, yeah, he's a tech, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, this is again mm-hmm. from Stan Freeman. Quote: He was publicly asked when he got his MS from MIT. He said, "Let me see now. I think it was probably 1982." Nobody getting an MS from MIT would not know the year immediately. He was asked to name some of his professors. He said, "Let's see now. Bill Duxler will remember me from the physics department at Caltech." I located Dr. Duxler. He's a Pierce Junior College physics professor and never taught at Caltech. Lazar was registered in one of his courses at the same time Lazar was supposedly at MIT. Nobody who can go to MIT goes to Pierce Junior College, not to mention the rather long commute between L.A. and Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that helped shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. So, so, again, I've got so many questions, just so many questions. Like, so why is this not enough to have some question of credibility to his claims? Like, why is this? I don't understand why. So Bob Lazar, his story is fantastic to begin with, which is okay if you can substantiate any of it with something that is harnessed right in in provable anything and if if nothing is if if everything is just totally fantastic then how is he credible why do people believe him well people believe him marie because people don't know enough about the periodic table <laughs> well i'm i don't know jack about the periodic okay. table man and i still am not buying this so now let's talk about of, let's talk about uh, bob lazar's major, major claim okay, okay. Bob Lazar claimed that the element Uh that would be proven, that would would kind of make this stuff work, was going to be element 115. Uh Okay. Uh Now, what he said was that it would would basically warp space around the craft and cause it to create its own gravitational field. (laughs) All right? Uh So uh, the idea was that the... You could create a very small gravity field around the nucleus of this material. Mm-hmm. And because, though, it, it extends past the atoms. Uh, so everything, the idea goes that everything would have a gravity field. Right? Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, imagine that this is what gives things its mass. Right. Okay. Um, there's no explanation for there's really no good explanation for why some like wh- where does mass itself as a property kind of come from? Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of one of the big unanswered questions of physics still. And mm-hmm. so the idea here, or rather, how does gravity affect mass and vice versa? And so, you know, um, it's it's an interesting it's a very interesting problem, obviously. And we could do mm-hmm. a whole podcast series for years on it. Uh, but we're going to do it in like the next 35 to 40 minutes. Sweet. Now, he, yeah. he claimed that the uh, because this element was so heavy and because of the the way that its nucleus was structured, there is something intrinsic about its gravity field. So the thing that gives it mass extended outward away from its normal kind of center of where gravity would occur. Mm. So imagine something that like, imagine, imagine this with like magnetism with a magnetic field, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Imagine you have a magnet. Um, and so all magnets, you know, of up to that point are all localized just in like the solid part of the magnet itself. Right. And then suddenly you discover one that actually can affect other things outside of the solid portion of the magnet. Right. Okay. Okay. No, I'm, so, you, I'm almost view, thinking of it as an elliptical field. It is. It is. It is. Reaching. Yeah. Okay. It is like an elliptical field. So you can imagine, okay. like, imagine the difference between two magnets that mm-hmm. only stick together when you physically touch them mm-hmm. versus a magnet that's strong enough to pull another magnet towards it from across the room. 
Right. That's right. almost so like the difference that he's trying to claim was between this one thing with normal mass versus this this element 115 and its ability to kind of um, pull things forward from like away using gravity. Oh, okay. Now, okay. what what he claimed then was that you could bombard the the nucleus of this element with with uh, you can bombard it with protons, and mm-hmm. that would produce uh, that would also produce antimatter. So okay. he claimed that then you could basically have antimatter and matter colliding, causing tremendous amounts of energy that would fuel the ship, while simultaneously having this gravity wave effect that would propel it forward. That's a lot going on for one ship, isn't it? It's a tremendous amount for one ship. Now, I mean, at, CERN, CERN can't even do both of those things at once. Yeah. Now, at the time of Bob Lazar, so he also claimed some other things. Oh. He said that it was, um, it, it had to come from someplace that could be, it could produce it naturally. Okay. He claimed that the government had collected 500 pounds of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which he said would be enough to, you know, power hundreds of crafts for, you know, decades. And then he said that it had a melting temperature of around 1740 Celsius, which is around 3,200 Fahrenheit. Now, here's the thing, okay? Uh When Lazar first made his claims, the periodic table, as far as we knew, had only, like, the elements had only been discovered up to, like, element 109. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing about the periodic table. You, it's just a table of possible elements until we discover them. Yeah. Right. So, so what, what determines an element or what makes an element an element is the number of protons inside of its nucleus. Right. So Uh a set and because of the way that chemistry works and because of the way that atomic physics works, we know in the periodic table that elements with the same number of uh, basically proton and neutron combination ratios mm-hmm. and the same number of electrons in the shells or orbitals around the uh, electron around, around the nucleus rather will behave the same way chemically. Mm-hmm. So they will have similar uh, bonding patterns. They will have uh, there's relatively common trends that occur. They're called periodic trends. It's called a periodic table for a reason that trends go in certain periods, right? So, for mm-hmm. instance, any any person who's who's taking uh, high school chemistry or who, who has taken high school chemistry and kind of remembers it knows or should know that the stuff on the left-hand side of the periodic table is more metallic in nature than the stuff on the right-hand side. Yes. Okay. I even and, remember that. Yes. And okay. the stuff and the stuff on the far right side are the are the noble gases. They don't the react with anything. Gases. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Now that's the kind of stuff that Bob Lazar essentially was pointing out. Mm-hmm. Was well, if this thing is element 115, then I can count on the periodic table where it has to be. It'll be below bismuth. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I will know how basically how it should behave. What's well, like a predetermined, right? Exactly. It has to be that because it goes there. Exactly. Yes. It's like it's like saying that, you know, it's like saying, Marie, that you will because you know that next Tuesday will exist, that you predicted next Tuesday. Right? right. There are like there are well known behaviors that'll happen in the periodic table. Right. Right? Right. Now, Marie. 
Yes. Okay. The periodic table is arranged into periods and families. Yes. The pyramids are the horizontal rows and the families are the, the vertical rows. Yes. Okay. So you know, like we just said, you know some common families, the metals and the noble gases. Yes. Okay. Because of the because of the families that things are in, then the period that they're in, you can essentially predict all of their properties. But before yes. we even discover the element. Okay. Yes. So we know that things in the uh, like we know things that in the you know we know things that in like the sixth or seventh period will be radioactive. Because that's where the radioactive things go. Right. And we know that things in family, you know, the fluorine family or the nitrogen family or the oxygen family will tend to be gases. Um, you know, the fluorine family especially will tend to be gases as you get to the upper levels of the period. So like, you know, one, two, three, four, those generally tend to be gases because they're lighter. Yeah. They're literally just lighter than things. OK. Yeah. All that Bob Lazar did was was use general chemistry knowledge to predict some. Again, very predictable, like students that students that take the AP chemistry test should be able to do the trick Bob Lazar did. So why is it so like, why is it so, why does it have any credence? Because I totally agree with you. Why? Like, again, all this is common sense. It's sort of like this is a classification, right? I mean, that's kind of how I would look at it. Like this is the, the periodic table is a organizational system. So, of course, everything that is like this would fit into this structure. Yes. So I don't get why his prediction of this is heralded by anybody, anybody of any, you know, that to have any credence besides it makes common sense. Well, here's the thing, right? So there's a couple of things to mm -hmm. this. So, so first off, too, just to just to kind of put the nail in the coffin a little bit more on this element 115 stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or at least the properties of element 115 that he predicted. Uh, really, he did a bad job of predicting the properties as well because he didn't know enough about quantum mechanics to make the kind of claims about the the stability of the nucleus that he wanted to. Now we're gonna we're gonna get into that more. But what? Uh, so imagine like the periodic table is very much so like the days of the week. If you think about a calendar mm -hmm. as like another kind of periodic table of days. So yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, if you're if you're in America, right, if you're, or if you're just in the West generally, I think, unless you're in some awesome country like, you know, Norway or Sweden or wherever where, you know, I don't know, you guys have super cool laws and stuff. But, um, you know, like if you're in the United States that on Monday to Friday, you go to work. Usually most people go to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know that on Saturday and Sunday, you're usually home. Right. Yes. That gives a certain property or character to those days of the week. Yes. So the same thing is generally true about the periodic table. It's broken up into these kind of chunks where you know yeah. that this period of, of elements will behave a certain way. This group will behave a different way. And then this next group will behave a different way as well. Yeah. Okay. And you know, too, that as you get older, so as the days progress further and further, like you're probably not going to be going rock climbing at 85. Right. Like you, you could probably make that prediction pretty well. Yeah. Well, the same again, the same kind of predictions are true about things in the periodic table as the elements get up in proton numbers. So as the number of the element goes up, they get heavier, they get more radioactive, they get less stable and they get harder and harder to find and synthesize. 
mm-hmm. right? Or just collect, find anywhere. You can't find yeah. it. They're not naturally occurring anymore. So again, like the, Bob Lazar claiming that element 115 would have certain, you know, it's going to have a high melting point. It's going to, uh, you know, be radioactive partially. It's going to decay, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He gets the stats. Exactly. That's like saying that I, you know, I will predict right now on this show that on, you know, the third Wednesday of the year 2015 or 2015, Jesus Christ, Marie, 2025, Mm -hmm. Uh, that I'll be going to work somewhere, right? I probably Mm -hmm. won't be drinking on that Wednesday night. Probably not. I will probably uh, be eating dinner with my wife that night. Yes. Right? Like all of that is predictable because things follow a pattern and go in a certain way. Well, especially again, that the periodic table is just that it's something to house and organize. Right. It's It's a pattern. It's a structure. Right? right, you don't. If you follow the structure, it's you, like you said, it's a pattern, it's a structure, it's knowable, it's not, it's not an unknown thing. So, right. I don't understand. Again, like I don't get why his prediction of this is anything besides an educated guess about about something that would exist. Well, I so mean, the the yeah. next the <laughs> next thing mm-hmm. is that again, some of the things that he claimed weren't like it. Think about this. This is in this is 1989, mm-hmm. right? You don't have the internet to to you know spread information. You can't just Google element 115 if you want to find out about it, right? You have to go to a library right. and to find out about an element that had not yet even been discovered in a la- you know in a, in a reactor yet in a in a collider yet. To get that kind of news, you would you would have to go to you know an academic library of a university someplace. Right, you'd have to be pretty tuned into this stuff, or you'd have to know somebody who was. You're oh, assuming, ex- but it was that it was totally his idea. Well, I mean, you, right. Well, some for someone to think of this, mm-hmm. you would need to have it. But that doesn't mean just because the idea wasn't wasn't widely accept, widely acceptable or accessible to the mm-hmm. public doesn't mean the idea wasn't out there. Right. Yeah. On this show, we've talked about scientific ideas that have. You know, existed. I mean, climate change was first proposed in like the eighteen, you know, sixties. Yeah. Right, as a model of the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, element one fifteen has been has been suggested to exist. You know, for since basically the periodic table was formed, right? Like we can predict all these elements should exist. Yes. But it wasn't. It wasn't first produced until two thousand and three. But again, people who don't know about kind of atomic just don't have that background knowledge or already mm-hmm. prone to believe when they read that element 115 was finally synthesized. They're thinking Bob Lazar was proven right by science. Well, are we piloting ships with it? We're not. Well, so he's, we, so, you know, it's like, is it doing what he says? Is it taking but, the form and function of what he says it was going to? No, but that's, that's the beauty though of predictions <laughs> like this is that uh-huh. they can, they're open-ended, right? Like, yeah, Okay, we we haven't made a stable 115 yet. What if this what if this stuff with us finding 115 or making 115 in these colliders mm-hmm. is just the government getting ready to do disclosure of UFO technology to us? Oh, chicken Right? No. Like that's the, but that's the kind of arguments that are going on though, right? Yeah. Now, here's here's the other part of this that Lazar again <laughs> got kind of got yeah. right in a uh-huh. in a in a kind of an unintended way, I think. Mhm was 
at the time, so since since around the 1930s, there have been theories out there that there would exist a what's known as the Island of Stability. Now, we've talked about this in other episodes. Mm, yes. Essentially, essentially what it is, is that the uh, the man- want to go for vacation. Just <laughs> right, exactly the the magic number of. Uh, protons and neutrons kind of in there. Uh, protons and neutrons also exist in shells, similar to how electrons exist in orbitals, right? Or kind of around a nucleus. So just like elements, if they have a full shell or a full, oct- you know, a full, not octet, that's kind of not true anymore. But just like uh, when electrons have a full set of electrons in their orbital, it becomes harder for them to react because they're they're kind of happy being in that low energy state. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true for neutrons and protons in a nucleus, where if they hit these certain magic numbers, um, essentially their like proton shell is filled, and so it becomes a stable isotope. Mm-hmm. What Lazar claimed was that element 115 would be stable on the time scale of, say, you know, like centuries. Mm-hmm. And that's what allowed it to be used to power ships, was that it wouldn't decay at the mm-hmm. same rate as other elements near it. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem with that. Lazar was kind of sort of right. Mm-hmm. But it was predicted before element 115 was ever made inside of a collider that it would be on the edge of that stability island. All right? Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now, and this is what I mean by stability. Element 115 exists for milliseconds. Before it shrinks out of existence. So how could he have even gotten anything out of... How could he have snuck out the tiny bit he did from the government? Well, his argument would be essentially that his is the stable 115 that we have yet to discover. Oh, and ours is Uh, the unstable. Right. The unstable stepchild of the (laughs) legit 115. So again, here's my beef with all of this argument. It's like everything you're saying scientifically totally adds up, but it's also just all conspiracy. It's like there's no way to disprove him without it strengthening the argument. Right. Well, it, it's the perfect it is the perfect conspiracy story because it has yeah. it has enough of it has enough scientific ish stuff to sound right. It even has enough. Honestly, it even has enough science in it to sound right to a to someone who would consider themselves to be like a a pretty savvy consumer of science news. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like if if you know enough about. You know, if you're if you listen to this show, say, as your primary source of scientific information or whatever, God help you. you, (laughs) Right. Um, But if 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 we are, you know, if all if all you know about science is kind of pop science and stuff, Bob Mm -hmm. Lazar's story seems perfectly credible because it it really doesn't sound uh, besides him meeting aliens Mm -hmm. on the outside. It doesn't sound that much more crazy than, say, you know, they just, I mean, I just read a story in the paper the other day, or the paper online, that was like, you know, scientists have discovered a shrinky ray. And like, no, they didn't. They just found a way to copy a big thing as a really small replica of it. Like, it's, it's you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, well, <laughs> it's like saying I have, I, have a, I have a shrinky ray, too, because I've built a model of a battleship. It just, my shrinky ray is just really slow and requires a lot of glue and cussing. <laughs> You know, like, I don't... 
Totally. No, I, I think of it, but the rest of his story, too, it's like, so even if his science is quasi-science, right, is is in the ballpark and is enough to sway minds, the rest of it, to me, it's just like, the rest of it's trope. Like, why is it not, you know, again, like, where is any other tangible evidence and of course, there's reasons like conspiratorial thinking is like as soon as you bring up something, there's something that would counter that argument to make it stronger. So it's like it's unwinnable. But the simple fact is, is like we're not powering ships with this stuff. The government's not powering ships with this stuff because if they were, somebody would know about it and it would be out there. This is my this is my general. I'm, we're probably going to get some backlash on this. So sorry, this is my general argument with with everything with with sort of the the next step beyond sciences it's like the government is not that we're not that good we're not that good at this stuff if we're that good at this stuff we we would be really really we would be good as our science fiction wants us to be but i don't think that we are i think that i i think that the bare minimum that they keep confidential is confidential but to keep something like alien reverse reverse engineer reverse engineering alien technology I, we're not that good at it people well, they, just aren't that smart they're not that coherent they talk a lot you know right the <laughs> this other stuff would come out sorry no it's fine i mean the other part of this the other part of this that i think is kind of crazy <sighs> is coming down the, the idea that so okay I, generally, like on the merits of his story alone, Bob was there, there's no evidence at all that he even we haven't even gotten into kind of the seedier parts of his life. Yeah, I don't right? even so need to. We don't man. we don't it's need like, to. Right. Yeah. But if you if you want to Google it, you can. But like there, it's just there's there's so much there to to pick at and say this doesn't make any sense right now. And, and honestly, I think anyone who anyone who grew up being interested in science knew a Bob Lazar growing up. Right. I, I knew a kid who on the first day of high school told me and my and my best friend, Richie, that he had a, a uh, how did he describe it? It was insanity. He said, oh, he said he had an amphibious boat car that him and his dad had built and he was using it. He, you know, he would have driven it to school that day, but he was taking the bus to seem like all the other kids. Dope. Like we mm-hmm. people make up crazy stories for attention about how smart they are and about yeah. how, you know, how capable they are of this stuff and, and how That's different exactly how unique and special they are to the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, all of the evidence we have suggests that Bob Lazar is a part time science enthusiast, uh, full time, you know, kind of photography tech kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and that's not even what he does now. He does other things that are, again, Google it. But um, OK, now the part of this that to me makes, I think, is the most compelling part of the story, actually, has mm-hmm. nothing to do with Bob Lazar and mm-hmm. has everything to do with all of the other figures in the UFO community around him. Mm-hmm. Now, the other part of the story that makes Lazar so intriguing for people is that he went off the grid for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. He didn't do interviews. He was like, you know, what what I said is what I said. My story is out there. I have nothing else to add. You know, I haven't been back. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything else. There's nothing else I can add to the story. Now, the cynic would say that the hole started getting poked into his story and he clammed up. You know, like any good kind of showman, you leave him wanting more. 
Right. And you know, you you go at the peak of your popularity. You don't you don't stay around to you know right. shave your head and dangle your baby out a window. You go you you go after Thriller, right? You finish that's, after Thriller. That's really those are some words to live by. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you go. The, the sh- you call it a day after Thriller. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what Lazar tried to do was he tried to mm-hmm. go out after Thriller. He was at the mm-hmm. peak of his popularity. People wanted to interview him, whatever. The only person he was giving any kind of time to was George Knapp. Now, the UFO kind of the, – the internal kind of politics story that goes around is that Lazar was uh, – Lazar was reached out to by a certain uh, person whose name rhymes with Gigolo – Oh, for the love of God, really? Okay, yes. Yes. And that this person decided that he was full of it and wouldn't, didn't want to work with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. and here's the interesting thing, though. Mm-hmm. The source of the, the vast majority of the Bigelow information we have, mm-hmm. the source of the To the Stars Academy information we have, Mm-hmm. And the source of the Lazar information we have all comes from a single person, mm-hmm. George Knapp. Mm-hmm. Now, switcheroo, you thought we were talking about Bob Lazar, but no. Sorry, it was like a Job moment from Arrested Development. <laughs> no, no, I mean, we are talking about Bob Lazar. We that, are. And I mean, but- and listen, well, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of like conspiracy kind of things that go around about that, too. Right. Of, of well, who's this reporter that comes out with this stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um. I don't know Mr. Knapp, right? But it, it would seem to me that he's like the only reporter really worth his salt that takes this seriously in any kind of sense of the word, mm-hmm. right? All the other ones kind of quickly turn to cattle mutilation or, uh, you know, alien stole my baby kind of stories. So, mm-hmm. you know, Knapp is probably one of the more serious figures in the field. So it kind of makes sense that he would be the one to get these stories. But I do, I think that that, that story of kind of the personalities there is fascinating. And I, I kind of wish personally I, I had more info on it because you got to wonder, right? Like the, you got Elizondo saying that mm-hmm. there is the government had this program that was essentially looking at videos and being like, you know, it's a UFO, right? Like the government right. didn't know what they were looking at. Right. They hired this guy to essentially scour the internet for UFO videos and look at them and whatever. And then you have Lazar saying, on the other hand, nah, the, the government, those were the government's planes. You know, the government had those UFOs themselves. We were the ones flying those. So it's either, you know, and so the argument that people have made to me online about this is, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's black hat, white hat operations. And, you know, one Again, hand, we're not that good. one we're hand that doesn't, smart. one hand doesn't necessarily wash the other and like, you know, whatever. No. No. Um, <laughs> I just, and again, I don't believe. I just don't believe that siloed operations are that coordinated to be able to pull something to that magnitude off, to the magnitude that would affect the whole of human existence. We're oh, not I mean, that organized. We're just not. Like, which that's there's nothing wrong with that because if you think about like all of the operating bits and pieces that would have to be perfectly in play for not just one year but a decade two decades, three decades, four decades, years and years and years to sustain that. I just don't, I mean, just look at, look at like a government operation as soon as you start to 
take it apart. It's made up of, you know, faulted individual people that all have their own agendas that will write a book the moment something goes south. Well, yeah, the other and the other crazy kind of part of this to me is mm-hmm. like, why would. The government, first off, why would the aliens work with us in the first place? That's question one. Well, right? yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Do we, you know, we don't like, I don't know, the first cow to to stand on its hind legs and be like, you know, we wish to treaty with you. I think we'd shoot that cow. You know, oh, we'd get God. we'd get rid of that. We'd be like, we got to stop this from happening. We got to stop no. them from rising up. Right. right. Like I, I, on top of that, too, I don't really get the whole the number of people that would be required to 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 work at a facility like I guess part of the yeah. I guess part of the argument is people like, well, you know, it's all it is secret. Like the amount we know about Area 51 is limited. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like I, I just I don't know. If, maybe there's nothing going on. Well, I was, was going to say, I think it's because yeah. it's mostly boring. Right. Like my, yeah. my 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 friends that were in the army, their stories about being in the army are, you know, are working for the government are essentially like, you know, sat on my butt a lot. Like I was really TDM. bored. And a then, and then sometimes I had to risk my life. Like, yeah. Moments of terror punctuated by long periods of tedium. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, I don't know. It's, there is no, uh, there's just no reason to think the world is that cool. There's no reason to think the world is that magical. Well, I think that we want the world to be that magical. And that's why, that's why these things propagate like i would love don't get me wrong i would love there to be some sort of master plan area 51 thing because that's that's really really interesting but i think it's interesting because you know what i know about science is mundane and hard right like knowing about things and learning about things is really hard it takes a long time and when you get there it's it you find out that maybe you know there isn't some sort of element that's going to all of a sudden create rocket shoes, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no correlation that you, there's no payoff. There's no payoff like that necessarily, you know, maybe, but not always very seldom, but like with the idea of like an area 51, man, anything can happen. They all, it, it, it's this awesome, all encompassing, fascinating idea that just keeps breathing life into the, into the idea that, that like somebody like Bob Lazar could be from MIT. Why not? I mean, maybe maybe everything you're reading online has been fabricated by the government, Chris. And he's got this entire because they had to, they had to wipe all of the information on him, and it's all a cover up, right? I mean, that's the thing is, it's like you get to spin that stuff a million different ways. But what it comes down to is like, where is it? So right now, are we any closer to? Government disclosing alien life and their relation to us. No, 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 <laughs> I don't think so. no. And not because they don't want to, because they probably like they probably you know mixed feelings about it. But I think it's because they just don't have the organized the organized efforts to be able to do so. I think right now the government would love to be able to point to an alien and be like, "Look over there! Stop looking at my buildings!" Aliens! Like aliens? <laughs> yeah, what? I think I think we would love the to world! have that. There's Yes, I agree yeah. with you on both sides of the fence. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? We would love yeah. that to be like, you know, the Democrats uh, like, look over there. It's it's not, he's not 85 years old. Um, oh, boy. Anyways. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's, a, it's an interesting story. I, and the, again, I, I think the reason that it keeps coming up. Right. And, and this mm-hmm. is again, this is like our, our 
podcast thesis statement coming to life oh, oh, is oh. somebody the, give us some funding. Yeah. The, di- <laughs> the difference between science and pseudoscience is pseudoscience never dies. Yeah. It comes back. And it's it just always com- fun. It's always it, more fun. Well, it's always more fun, but it, it's it always, always fun and it, sexy it, it, and crazy. It always comes back, but it kind of dressed up in a different way. Yeah. Right. So the Bob Lazar story is almost a perfect example of that, of this story was, was essentially torn to shreds by Stanton Friedman. Mm-hmm. It fell off the face of the earth. You know, no people still talked about him, whatever, but it was like, essentially the damage was done. He, you know, we, we kept talking about Area 51. Suddenly we were talking about all this crazy junk and whatever. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, the source of those claims was never really explicitly talked about as far as, you know, as far as modern kind of major UFO stuff, discussions, documentaries was going on. Right. And so it comes up at this kind of opportune time for this story, um, you know, which has some people wondering, well, is this kind of a similar... You know, I mean, the one area where government conspiracies have come true in the past is the government mm-hmm. trying to spread disinformation. Yes. And, it, you know, we see it in the history of UFO research. It comes up a lot when we're trying to hide nefarious mm-hmm. things the government actually is doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. this is kind of a time period where I think a lot of people are wondering, well, is this documentary coming out and then the two of the stars stuff and all this other thing, mm-hmm. is that a government conspiracy or something else? I don't think it is. I mean, it's just, it I just seems like that good. good marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, no, this... I, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the government does a lot of messed up stuff, right? I mean, we've done formalized, unformalized in any kind of branch. We have done some horrific things to ourselves and to other people, but I and and when called to be accountable for it, I do think that there's a certain amount of, you know, obfuscation. Oh my god, I can't even say it. Obfuscation. We'll, yes, we'll hide it. We'll do everything we can to hide it. But the thing is, is there's always it does always somehow come to light at some point or some portion of it. Like even with a really good recent example, I think is Facebook. Right. So Facebook, a private company, I know, but. They have put a certain amount of effort into telling you certain things, right, consistently. But, again, it, it's still – and it's like a microcosm example, but we're still finding out stuff. Somebody, somebody lets something out. There's some sort of trackable information, and all of a sudden everything that they're saying that was one way is completely a, a different way. So I just – that's why I think it's just – you can't sustain this type of stuff. You can't sustain, um, you know, I, again, like I would love for it to be an area 51. I just, it would just be a lot of work. (laughs) Think about the poor beleaguered, you know, shadow government figures that have to keep this stuff going. I mean, damn man, they're probably like, Oh, Again, with the reporter whose mind we have to wipe. It I mean, well, it's tiresome. That's the, that's kind of the <gasps> last, the last point of this I'll say, mm-hmm. right? Is that journalists get murdered all the time yeah. for way less than yeah. disclosing the biggest secret in mankind's history. Yes. Okay. A guy, yes. Jamal Khashoggi, just got yes. ripped apart because he was like Saudi Arabia is kind of not a great place to live you guys. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Right, like yes. it's crazy to me to think that there 
He'd be dead. Bob Lazar would be dead. If what Bob Lazar was saying is true, he would be dead. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. There would there would be no reason to, for him to be kept alive. And even if he was kept alive, I mean, again, imagine the, the, the government body that would have to be sustaining that generation after generation. Like, that's a huge conspiracy. That's a lot. And those people are tired, man. They don't get vacation. They don't get to, like, they probably get very little time away from Area 51 and being in a bunker. You know, they probably are bored because a lot of the time, you know, they're not reverse engineering alien stuff. They're just babysitting. And Ridiculous. That's just, that shit's tiresome. Sorry. That's, Ridiculous, that's tiresome. Hurry. I'm angry. All right. <sighs> that's it for this week's episode of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Cox. We're here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Woohoo! And we just went and debunked a whole bunch of good stuff. Sorry. We did. Doing so well. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, happy holidays. Whichever. We'll debunk it. No, uh. <laughs> this episode and all others are copyright the Mad Scientist Podcast. Yes, trademark. Yeah. All rights, all rights reserved. This yeah. has been a damn it chippy production. It has been. All right. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right.